Welcome to another very special episode of Friday's Child, the podcast, where this week we are honouring Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week. Earlier this week, I spoke to the incredible Alana Galini, also known on Instagram as Humaning. Now, before we get to our conversation, I just want to give a trigger warning to listeners as during this episode, we speak about baby loss and pregnancy after loss. If you'd like to find out more information about Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week, visit maternalmentalhealthalliance.org or follow at Perinatal MH Partnership on Instagram. You can also get involved on socials by using the hashtags Journeys to Recovery and Maternal MH Matters. Now here's my conversation with the gorgeous Alana. Alana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on and thank you for giving me some of your precious time. Us mums are very um, time poor and this is your your evening. So thank you so much for coming on. I It is an absolute pleasure. Super excited to be chatting with you. Me too. So let's start by talking about your first pregnancy. So you have your gorgeous boy, um, Raf, who we'll come on to. But can you share yes. the story of your first pregnancy before Raf? Sure. Um, and I don't know how much kind of bummer of the details you, you want to go into. Um but I, yeah, my husband and I, we um, were very fortunate in that we um, fell pregnant straight away. And I understand, you know, it's definitely not like that for, for everybody. And so while it was something we weren't pre- preventing, um, it certainly happened like a lot quicker than, it, you know, than we anticipated. And um, the moment it happened, um, we, were, we were thrilled. We were really excited. And it was the first time that I had ever been pregnant. And I know that everybody's experiences are totally different, but I think, um, and maybe it's not the case for everybody, but I now ha- having two pregnancies to compare, I had in retrospect, like this totally blissful kind of, I don't want to say naive, but you don't think anything's ever, ever going to happen. Right. I mean, of course mm-hmm. we know one in four and, um, I do, you know, things like miscarriage are being spoken so much more about these days, which I think is fantastic because it is just any, any type of baby loss is, is such an isolating, um, and unnatural experience, right? It's when like we're literally DNA yeah. programmed to not anticipate. Um, and so I actually had a really breezy, um, first trimester. I, you know, and I had no expectation by, I thought if morning sickness comes, you know, that so be it. But I just totally coasted through. Um, it, honestly, like had I not taken a positive um, pregnancy test, I wouldn't have even known I, I was pregnant. I was feeling great. Um, all of our appointments were, you know, going totally swimmingly. And I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. You, you don't anticipate the worst, right? Mm. And um so like the 12 week scan had um, gone, you know, super, I guess, routinely, despite us not knowing what the routine was, you know, there was never even a question of, of whether there was any sort of issue. And then my husband, um, I was very lucky that he, you know, came to all of the appointments with me until our 20 week scan. Um, we were actually getting married. We were having the, the, the party, the wedding party um, with some family and friends in Italy. We had already gotten legally married here. Um, in Dubai, and um, we were gearing up. I was literally flying out the next day, 
to Italy um, uh, after my 20-week my scan. And my husband had gone over to the States to like pick up my 91-year-old grandmother to help her uh, travel over to Italy. So, and it wasn't even one of those things like, oh, you know, I was bummed to like not have him there, but it wasn't like I thought, oh, I need moral support or anything because it had just gone so as one would expect, not having any other point of reference, right? And um, long story, somewhat short, although I'm <laughs> giving you quite the lead up, I went to the 20-week scan and um, the doctor that we were seeing was kind of flying through, you know, all of the um, different parts of the anatomy that they're, you know, looking for. And I was actually recording it on my iPhone for my husband to watch mm. um, since he wasn't with me that day, um, which, you know, is probably, I don't know, in retrospect, if it's, it's probably one of those things you wish you didn't have to reference, you know, when you, when you do get bad news, like being there in the moment. Um, and at the very end of the scan, when they're checking the heart, um, I, I hadn't really noticed it in the moment, but like there was quite a pause and um, the doctor found, um, he, he was like, so you're traveling tomorrow. And I feel like I'm saying this very matter of factly. It's been, um, you know, a couple years now and I've done a lot of work kind mm. of, it's something that obviously never goes away. Um, so I guess I'm sharing the story more kind of matter of fact, instead of getting, uh, like d deep within the emotions that I, you know, had at the moment and for quite some time afterward. And that still totally hit you you know, blindingly in uh, on a random day when you're not even in, uh, expecting it. But um, he said, you're, you're traveling tomorrow and with a bit of, I guess, concern. And um, I said, you know, yes, is there, is there, a, is there something wrong? And um, he'd found um, a critical congenital heart um, problem. Um, basically half of our little boy's heart had, didn't form. And he um, that's what he could see from the scan, but he's like, you know, I really need to get a specialist. This is such a, um, I mean, obviously like such a critical, such a critical mm. piece. Um, and he left the room. Unfortunately, the specialist, um, the, 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 the prenatal cardiologist, I don't know if that's exactly the term, but, um, was in Abu Dhabi for the day. Otherwise he was going to ask him to like come in straight away. Uh, long story short, although I've said that and I'm still here, um, the diagnosis ended up being a lot um, more dire than what uh, he had initially found on the scan. Um, he, uh, we, we named our, our son Grove, um, and Grove had multiple uh, critical congenital heart problems, um, and basically the combination of which meant, and I hate, uh, you know, the term that you, but incompatible with life. It sounds so clinical. It mm -hmm. sounds so emotionless you know um as unfortunately a lot of the terms i feel like that are bound you know, yeah. around in in women's health care these days um and ultimately um because of the that it wasn't just, i mean one one of these issues is you know life-threatening enough um but the combinations of um, of problems that he had meant basically if he made it to term that he would suffocate trying to get get his first breath and I mean I think all obviously all like I said all forms of baby loss it doesn't matter if you literally just found out or mm. you are you know towards the end of your pregnancy I think they're all just 
like I said, the most unnatural, just devastating, I mean, which doesn't even begin to convey, you know, the emotions that I yeah. think women and, and their husbands and their families and everybody feel around it. But um, I think what was particularly challenging um, in my experience, and like I said, it's not meant to compare or, or anything, um, you know, the body as we've like, everybody who's given birth has like, has experienced firsthand it has such incredible like innate wisdom in its you know infinite wisdom it's you know so often as I've you know been been researching and learning more and more about you know baby loss a lot of times the body you know it can realize when a child is you mm. know something is, is wrong and isn't viable and the body as they say takes care of it which again is I feel like a cruel way of saying it and that doesn't make the loss any any less brutal. I think what was particularly challenging um, for me is because it, we ultimately, I hate that they even say, you know, you, you have to make a choice because in our, you know, in our experience, it wasn't, it wasn't a choice, you know, it was a choice between terrible and horrible, you know, yeah. do you um, know, knowing that there is literally no chance for survival, do you, bring this baby, you know, onto this planet to then suffer for the seconds that they're here, you know, or do, it's just having to be in that situation to uh, apparently have some kind of agency, I felt was just one of like the hardest things for me, you know. Um, but ultimately, that's like, that's, those are the cards you're, 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 you're dealt, you know, and you're until you're ever in that situation, you you have no idea like what you're, you know, how, how to, how to go through something like that. Um, but, you know, we, unfortunately at, at 20 weeks, um, I ended up, uh, I, I, I always was very um, mindful in preparing for my birth that I, um, especially with Raph, my beautiful son who's here, um, you know, with us to, to say I birthed my baby. And I'm always really torn when I talk about with Grove because I don't like delivered, you know, because it's such a, a verb of like something being, you know, that the, that you're not the one doing it. Mm. But birth obviously has this um, kind of this definition of, of life with it, you know? And so like, while I, I struggle to use the word birthed with Grove because he wasn't alive when, you know, he came out of me. Um, but I mean, I guess those are, that's that's details. <laughs> those are that's that's my new show. But at twenty at twenty weeks, um, I had to go, you know, through the entire process at that at that stage. So the laboring and 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 delivering your baby and um, yeah, and it's just it's for like again, I think it's it's brutal. No way, you know, no matter the way you cut it. I think what was so hard, you know, for me is everything you ever kind of imagine or fantasize about being pregnant and giving mm. birth and holding your baby for the first time, that experience is the absolute opposite of it, right? Like you don't think you're going, going through all this to then hold your, your lifeless child, you know? It's not something that we're, we're programmed to, to do. So. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think, this week is actually uh, maternal mental health week in the UK um, and every year they have a different theme and this year's theme is journey to recovery and I think you know they are encouraging women to talk about 
their experiences and there are so many women that quite rightly are not ready to talk about it cannot talk about it so the fact that you even have the words is remarkable how did you I don't know what the right word is because recover I'm not sure that is the right word how do you get through something like that how do you even begin I I just can't fathom it I just cannot even yeah I I can't begin to imagine how you get yourself out of bed the next day and want to to carry on yeah I um I'll tell you it's a very surreal experience and I even in retrospect I I almost I in that moment and still like I said in retrospect it's almost as though you are watching yourself in in a movie um it feels very out of body it I think any kind of any kind of trauma I think oftentimes has that effect and um I think what's been very um powerful for me I I dealt with a lot of trauma in my own childhood um and in my uh, probably past eight years or so um of <laughs> in in later uh, you know adulthood have been like properly processing it and working through it um I think you chose the right word of saying you know how do you go through it, it you, mm. you never get over something yeah like that right it's not it's not done and dusted and parceled up and and put away it's how do you process it and how do you move through it and I think whether um I mean I feel like all of the processing of trauma that um I had had in my in my childhood um and in early adulthood um none of it prepared me at all obviously for for something like the loss of my child but I think one of the biggest personal lessons I've had um, when working through this is the acceptance of of multiple, oftentimes like conflicting emotions. I mean, there were, as you rightly say, you know, days where I could, I mean, I couldn't, I felt I couldn't do anything. I, you don't want to get out of bed. You don't, you wake up, you know, and for a couple of short hours, you haven't had it as the, the, first forefront thing of your mind and then all of a sudden you wake up and you remember you know and you re-remember every single morning and that that's it was I kept thinking will I ever have a day where this is not the first thing Mm. I think when I wake up you know um but then in the same moment like you don't stop being a human there are still and I know this can kind of sound really odd to somebody who's maybe not gone through something like this but I think anybody at different um, inflection points in their life, if you're, like I said, in in the deep trauma or in grief or, mm. you know, in mourning or the loss of somebody, you realize, like, there's still something that possibly could make you laugh. There's still something that is going to bring you joy if you walk quiet on the street. And I think I remember, like, having a thought where, I don't know, maybe my husband um made a joke or something and I laughed and I for a second felt guilty like that I that I was laughing that I was not about our, our child but like it was something totally unrelated and I was like no I need to be com- completely consumed mm-hmm. by you know the grief that I that I have in this moment and I think um accepting that that's that that's not um it doesn't make you a bad person for not letting that grief eat you alive you know you 
and in this in the same I hope I'm making sense like in yeah, the same no, you vein are. okay like in the same vein when I feel an emotion instead of quashing it and you know just saying no it's okay I'm gonna be positive about this I'm gonna get over it um which you know for me I'm like a very naturally like happy <laughs> person yeah. and um I think that it's like before I started like properly processing um different things that have happened in in my life I have always like almost worn like a little bit of <laughs> medal of honor like wow look at me I can get through this it doesn't really even affect me I can move on I'm and we equate that with strength somehow and and while there is an element of resilience obviously in that um it isn't at least for me the way you truly process things like when I have you know was totally consumed by sadness by grief by resentment I'm if you speak to anybody I don't want to put a blanket statement like this but um anybody who's been through baby loss you are going to ride the roller coaster of emotions that you could never even imagine mm -hmm. I mean I for a couple days after I lost Grove I remember and it's embarrassing to admit this but I think it's important because every woman that I've spoken to has had the same uh, who's who's experienced baby loss has had the same emotions and they're like oh my god I'm so glad you said that and I just want to share it so that people know that it's normal I remember walking by pregnant women and and resenting them you know and thinking you know why like why why me why does she get to walk around and and hold her baby in her arms or have her bump and that sounds awful it sounds so mean but it's one of those things that I of course I don't I I, I don't feel that and I didn't you know I didn't truly feel that but it is a a kind of a natural roller coaster of all sorts of crazy emotions that you would never even anticipate, you know? And what I found is like the moment you just kind of like sit with those emotions, the quicker your, your body, your heart, your mind, all these different parts of your body or of yourself that need to process something, the longer that you can sit with it and just accept it rather than like pushing it away or saying, that's a horrible thought or, you know, what have you, the easier it is somehow to, okay, I've, I've acknowledged that my body or my heart or my mind or wherever this feeling is coming from felt that I honor that. And now I can let it go. Um, I don't, I hope that doesn't sound absolutely cruel. Um, no, not just because at all. that's just like one little example to give you like the myriad of just confounding emotions that are flooding you when you're going through something like this. You know, I, I haven't been through something like this, but I can imagine the, those feelings just sound so normal considering what you've been through and it's just the it's so unfair like it doesn't make sense why does this happen to some women and it doesn't happen to others and I can imagine that like with any kind of loss or grief there's this anger period where yeah you just want absolutely. answers like why right you know right so I remember that's so true and I remember I, it was almost like a a, a non-good mantra, <laughs> a mantra that I kept on just saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I, it wasn't one of those like teenage girl, like, oh, I don't understand. It was like, I, I actually am using every single neuron in my brain and I don't understand. How is this happening? You know what I mean? And it's one of, where you're like, it feels so cinematic, like where you're just looking up at the heavens and you're thinking, somebody explain this to me. Somebody explain it. And 
because we don't talk about baby loss, it is, I think, still quite a taboo subject. People, um, you know, unless they've been through it as well, maybe feel like they, they don't know what to say. And I think it's just not something we talk about a lot. How did totally. you, how did you sort of communicate with your family and friends as to how to support you through this time? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question um, because the last thing again this might sound extremely selfish. The last thing you want to do in that situation is try and tell other people how to make it easier for them. You know what I mean? And I we had a quite a unique situation um, in that I mentioned we were um, actually flying to Italy. We were having our um, our wedding party, um, so it was like the, the celebrate. Where are you wearing wearing the white gown? So here I was. I had my uh, down fitted for a five month bump. Um, and then all of a sudden you, you know, are thrown into the most indescribable situation that clearly the last thing you want to do after something like that is celebrate anything, right? Anything, much less a wedding, which is 10 days later. Um, so I, I didn't even, I, I didn't even, my mind couldn't even go there. I, the, I thought for sure we're not like, we're, there's no way we're going to, we're going to continue having this wedding. Um, I think maybe it was our decision. Um, spoiler, we ended up having the wedding, um, but maybe it would have been different if it was like a big to do. It was like 35 of our closest friends and family. And it was the morning, um, I think after I left, the hospital and I'll that's one of the craziest feelings in the world to walk into a hospital with a five-month bump and and leave you and your husband like the next day not not holding a child I mean that was the craziest uh, thing I've ever yeah I've ever felt and um over the next couple of days my husband and I spoke um and I mean like I keep if I was going through a myriad of emotions predominantly really all horrific <laughs> I would say for the first for the first couple um of days like a really cracking only only a few smiles in in the first week and um ultimately we decided you know what we're going to be so deep in this grief there's no band-aid there's no nothing you can you can put on it we're going to be so deep in this that we're going to feel this whether it's just the two of us right now or if we're mm -hmm. around our, our friends and family and so ultimately we ended up um my sister um I think communicated to my to my friends um and just kind of told them what was going on and um florian I think did it, my husband did it um, with his friends. And so again, we had a small number of, of folks and they were our closest friends and family. And so everybody knew obviously like what had happened. And I will tell you our wedding was, I, no couple should ever have to be tested with the loss of, of a child. Um, but it was one of the most bittersweet moments I, I I will ever have in my life because I really I had already loved, loved my husband tremendously obviously I'm not the light to marry him but um I found so much more depth that I didn't even like know was there mm. in this human that you're going through this completely unnatural experience that when I was walking down the aisle to marry him I mean that was the literal 
definition of marriage, right? I'm choosing this partner who things aren't great with when life is just easy, but like who I can navigate the murkiest and most awful and destroying of waters, right? That's what we should really, at least I, what I've learned is what I'm looking for in a partner, you know? So it felt so sincere. Um, that actually, I don't think answered your question about like how can friends and family help, but I feel like the, what everybody did was just holding space for that mm. and not avoiding the yeah. topic. Maybe it's because we were so open about it. Um, yeah, I think holding space um, and not saying all of the trite things that anyone who's ever been through baby loss will just want to punch you in the face if you hear like, oh, he's too good for, he was too good for this earth or, you know, because that, <laughs> you, what, what, you, you know, those, and I know people are just trying to say, you know, what they think might help, but yeah, um, the, there's, you know, another angel needed its wings or, you know, all these like terrible Hallmark cards. It's like, no, not my angel. I want my angel down here on earth without, without wings. You know what I mean? So I feel like just honoring, um, and just being there, like holding the space, I would say, for women who are going through that is like one of the most powerful um, ways that one can show their support. Yeah, and I think because we don't talk about it enough, like with any kind of grief, particularly us Brits, we're not very good at this, people <laughs> either say all those sort of very cliche things from a good place right. because they just sort of panic of and don't know what to say, or they avoid it altogether. Right. And neither of those things are very helpful. Right. And I think that's right. a lovely way of putting it, just holding the space for however you want to be as the person going through it. Um, totally. And I, I can't sort of imagine how powerful that day must have felt. There was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of magnitude and a lot of, I feel like it was a, this sounds so cliche and trite and hallmarky, but it was like a celebration of, of life, you know, and I felt in some weird way that he, you know, this is, I, I really avoided <laughs> the notion of silver linings. Like in, in when I, when we learned about Grove and, um, and when we, you know, ultimately lost him, I thought there's no silver linings. I thought you can't paint a rosy picture out of this, yeah. but, and that was my feeling for a long, for a long time. But I, you know, ultimately, I did come to the conclusion that, you know, maybe this was, maybe this was some little illustration of that, you know, you guys are the perfect people for each other. If you can navigate this, if you can be stronger after this. So I want, it's not a silver lining, but it was. I felt like it was a little gift that he gave us. You know what I mean? Like it was. That's how it really felt um, on the wedding. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing Grove's story, um, Alana. It's so, so brave of you. And just thank you. Um, so with your son, Raf, how was your experience considering everything you had been through with Grove how soon after Grove did you fall pregnant with Raf, and how was how was your pregnancy and and your birth with him? Yeah, it's a that's a, a great question because um, so we fell pregnant. Probably, I think about four months after I I delivered Grove, 
And I, again, you have all the emotions of, I do I do I ever want to be pregnant again? I can't. I couldn't possibly go through something like that again. What if what if something I, I couldn't possibly you know versus another natural feeling, um, and uh, you know one that I've spoken about uh, with a lot of folks who've dealt with pregnancy loss is, and again this sounds very selfish, but I just want to be pregnant again. You know something to like to fill. It sounds awful, but you mm-hmm. to, to fill that void, and it's not what it is. It's this like chasm of all of these wild emotions and notions that are just jumping through your head and so but then I was very cognizant of the fact that I wanted to properly heal and not that you can like I said properly heal and close a a book and say okay this chapter's done but I am a huge believer in the mind-body connection and I was very cognizant of it in my pregnancy with Grove and you know obviously what happened happened and I just I wanted so badly that if and when I was to be pregnant again, I didn't want this little person inside of me to feel. Mm. I know this sounds maybe a little woo woo, but like that's just, that's how I am. But oh I no, it doesn't at all. It, I was exactly <laughs> the same when I was pregnant. I, I didn't I, want didn't want her to feel anything negative and if I was in a bad right. mood I would like talk to my bump and explain to her that it wasn't about her it was right with work or whatever it may be so no I'm totally with you <laughs> right and I didn't want him or her to feel like they're a band-aid or a second to, or all these crazy emotions but you're you're going through all of it right and um I but it's also completely unrealistic to think that you can just move that all out of your head and your heart, right? And you, and not have that. So I think what you just mentioned, you know, with Mavia is um, is something that I did a lot of was con, you know convening with with my little baby and you know explaining to him, which I can sound maybe totally totally wild to some people, but you know, explain to him, oh, the, you know, the feelings that I'm having right now are about your, you know, older brother and then no reflection on you in the same moment that I am so heartbroken at not having him here. I'm so over the moon elated mm. that you're with me, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm talking about, about these, like these seemingly contradictory emotions that kind of hang in this perfect yeah. creative balance somehow uh, alongside each other. And, um, I also, I would be lying if I told you that even despite acknowledging all this and <laughs> all the meditation and the hypnobirthing and what have you, it was impossible to not worry. It was just impossible. I mean, I, I think that was my biggest, one of the things I longed for so much is this, um, is like the beautiful like naivety of going through pregnancy happy and bubbly yeah and how it how it's supposed to be yeah carefree and yeah I want every I want every pregnant woman to feel that way to I want them to feel that way because that's how it's supposed to be and I I just I you know for example I um in the very in very early stages of pregnancy I have with RAF I had some bleeding um, which is totally common, you know, for example, whether it was implantation bleeding mm. or you, whatever, there's a myriad of different reasons you can have like minor, you know, bleeding spotting in the first trimester. And I didn't have any of it with Grove. And even if I, if I, so if I had just started like with 
you know, for example, with RAF and had that bleeding, I could have pointed to a million reasons why this was totally normal. But the fact that what had happened with Grove had happened, the moment I had this bleeding, I'm like, oh, what is going on? You know, and immediately your mind is just flung into worst case scenario. Um, but I guess it was just ultimately about like, yeah, having a lot of grace with yourself and just saying it's completely normal and expected to feel the way you're you're feeling, you know? Um, my pregnancy with Raph was totally different um, than it was with Grove. I, my first trimester, I was sick as a dog. I live on the farm, and I don't know if you know the um, Golden Mile Park. Um, I, and I would go out there and like walk, you know, all the time. And I, I mean, I couldn't even make it to the trash cans fast enough. I, unfortunately, oh, no. there were landscapers out there. There was just vom left, right, and center. But um, I was sick as a dog. Um, but otherwise, once I think I hit about 15 or 16 weeks, um, I had a great, like, great rest of the pregnancy. Um, yeah. I were you having regular, regular scans? Um, cause they're quite, um, they're quite sort of hot on scans here anyway, compared to other countries, right. but because of what you've been through with Grove, did they sort of monitor you more or was it all pretty sort of, um, you know, straightforward? Right. And that's a, um, a good point as well, because I would consider myself like on the spectrum of, you know, everybody who goes through pregnancy and birth and how they want to do it. I would definitely consider myself like more on the crunchy side. And so I remember when I was like pregnant with um grow how I was reading and thinking like oh I want as few scans as possible and my body will know every you know all this kind of, which is still like I feel like in principle you know I <laughs> I'd like to get behind but I I didn't do any more scans than the like um schedule that they usually have you do over here in the UAE so I think it's just 12 and 20 um but but I definitely like I went to you know for example a, a, a specialist um that I hadn't gone to before with the scans um I think there was one time isn't it funny how you could remember this like the back of your hand when you were in the pregnancy and then nine months in you're like wait what where's my I know you said this um, to me the other day and I was like it's so true you are so in it Oh. And then like a few weeks later, like you can't remember the details, you're on to the next thing. But when you're in it, right. it's like all you can think about and you know every single detail and it's totally. all consuming. Yeah. Totally. So I was going to say, I think that there was one point in the, in the end of my pregnancy where maybe I wasn't feeling him move as much and I think like my anxieties and fear um, from the previous pregnancy got the, got the mm. best of me. And I went in for like a quick unscheduled OB appointment where they, you know, just checked. Um, but with the exception of that, I didn't, I don't think I did any more scans. I will say, and I think this is maybe an important point on women who've gone through pregnancy loss, or at least it, it was for me. All of a sudden, when that happens, if you do choose to like speak about it or, you know, find a grief group or, you know, anything like, like that, um, you are suddenly thrown into the club that nobody wants to be a part of. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, but that you want, uh, at least, you know, people like I want, I, because until you've walked in those steps, it's so hard, even if you've got the best friend or the, you know, my sister had just given birth to her fourth child and she is like my best friend in the entire world. And she was you know, virtually alongside of me every step of, you know, when I was um, in Italy and, and, you know, going through the, the birth with um, 
with Grove, but you know, even she like admitted, she's like, I, I mean, I feel like I feel what you're feeling. <laughs> it's a lot of feels in one sentence, but I've never, of course, it's something I can't intrinsically relate to because I yeah. haven't walked in those shoes. Right. And I think you want, you want, I remember, I remember when I first found out, I remember, it sounds crazy, but like Googling up a storm, like just to, um, like, I wanted to know what other people in this situation, not what they did, I wanted to know what they felt because you, like I said, you're having this like barrage of insane, a hurricane of emotions and, and thoughts. And I just wanted to know, like, uh, what do other people think? When, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, you just want to know what are the, what are these other people who have gone through something similar what is consuming them? And so I did, um, there's a couple of great, it's actually how I met my amazing doula now, um, who was my doula with, with Raph, but she was actually, she was an amazing woman, Lala um, Langtree-White. She's she is incredible. I need to get her on the podcast. I met her um, and she has a, wow, an amazing story with her, yeah, with her children. She, I literally, she's an angel. I need to like, get her on the podcast. You must, you absolutely must. She's an angel who walks among us. And she, um, in addition to like being a regular doula um, and a doula kind of for high risk and, and twins and multiples and all this, she um, is a voluntary bereavement doula, um, which I just think is one of the most incredible things you can do because again, it's just something that, especially in this country, but I think globally, the medical and not even medical, but just like the birth infrastructure is just not equipped for. And it's, you know, you are literally going through the same physical uh, emotions. You're going through this, you're, my milk came in, you know, all of this stuff that you don't even think about. Do you know what I mean? When you're going through what's emotionally the hardest moment of your life. And I think being able to have that incredible you know support in in this a uh, voluntary bereavement doula was just amazing but um where was i going with this one so <laughs> can, I, can i just ask alana so did you have yeah. did you have um your doula for postpartum with grove or did you have her for the birth of raf so i had her for the birth of raf okay. but i was introduced to her um after I, cause I was in Italy when everything happened, mm. um, with Grove and like my husband and I went through that by ourselves, but it was afterwards where, you know, the grief and just everything obviously mm. is hitting you. And it's like, when we came back to Dubai, um, she, I was put in touch with her and she, um, you know, little things like brought me this beautiful memory box and wrote the most just like poignant, um, cards and came to speak with me. And, um, you know, and, and introduced me to a group of, of other women who had experienced baby loss. And um, so she was, with, that's how I was originally introduced to her. Mm. And she did so much then. And but where, it, where she then became my doula with Raph, not only is she like an amazing doula in its own right for anybody going through pregnancy, I think I had a couple of things I was concerned about that having her be there with my experience with Grove, not in the same room, but like just knowing my, my past, my history with Grove, you know, for example, I, my one big fear, even though I had like done hypnobirthing and I was so, you know, I, you and I have totally, um, 
Yeah, we're both very passionate about agreements on the fact of <laughs> yeah, birth and how we're totally meant for this and mind over you know Matt and just all of this and getting in the right mindset. But I was, even though I totally felt all of that, I was also just afraid of, for example, a physical memory. I like one thing I just will never forget um, with Grove is I remember when my water broke, I still to this day, I feel like I, I heard a balloon, uh, like a mm. water balloon popping and I felt that sensation. And of course I knew very likely my water's gonna break at some point it, you know, in my pregnancy with RAF. And I was just afraid that this, cause I find sometimes like a physical sensation can be really like tethering in terms of like visceral emotional yeah. memory. And I didn't want something like that to throw me off my game as it were you know in in my birth with rap and so you know like lala and i like we worked on some like grounding techniques and um you know making sure that we recognized that this is a different you know different space and a different place and a different time and and so just having her alongside of me where i could kind of like speak out these fears or you know challenges that i thought might come up and kind of have a game you know plan in, in place and having her have that um history of mine mm. you know was just really powerful um but the reason i know how i got down on this track was that you know i wanted so much to know other people who had gone through something like this um and that is so powerful and it has helped me so much but and there's a giant but here like I said, it's also all of a sudden you are so much more keenly aware. Like when I met and have, and when I don't even say like um, physically met, like I've connected with so many people after like sharing my story with Grove online. Like I, I connected with so many people who were like, oh my God, you were able to just put down what I like feel, but could mm. never you know, articulate. And I just, I, so many stories, so many stories and so many stories from people that I knew that I never knew went through something like this. And I will tell you, I think that was one of the hardest parts is like, while in the same moment, I was so grateful to have this community of people who understood and, you know, have walked this path before. I also was just like, wait a second, how does anybody in the world have a happy, healthy baby? It's just like, all of a sudden you become keenly aware of, everything that and i'm not saying this i, I don't want to like make your <laughs> listeners like nervous or scared because it's not like the majority of people have super happy healthy wonderful pregnancies but i guess what it just does is it also like that was one part i kind of struggled with when i was then pregnant with graft mm -hmm. is i of course knew because the chances were so infinitesimal of grove having what he had i like knew in my logical mind this is not gonna happen like, you know this is not gonna happen again but I was just so afraid of now that I've connected with all these other women and I've heard all of their stories. It just seemed like, oh my gosh, okay, he's not going to have that, but is something else going to, you know, happen? Um, and I guess that was really hard. It's, it's just this like unnerving, if you've gone through a loss before, I guess it's just that beautiful, blissful, like naivety is somehow, like you can just never get it back, you know? Well, I imagine it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it's lovely to connect with these women who are going through what you're going through. However, then you're kind of just flooded with all these traumatic stories. So therefore it does seem like, well, this is very normal. This happens all the time. So how am I gonna have a happy ending when this, I, I'm hearing so, so much horror. And right. 
and I think what you said about how you it's not so much finding out what people do it's how they feel and that to me is motherhood I'm obsessed with like do you feel this as well like are you in this too like and and I think it's like our it's our human nature isn't it and and so I think it's I think it's lovely that you shared a few things that you did as well because I imagine that you do feel just utterly lost you know where where do you even turn what 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 can you do? Exactly, exactly. And I think, yeah, some practical, um, it just, at least, you know, from my experience, some practical things that helped me were, I I find just connection. And like you said, just this like mutual, do you, how do you feel? Do you feel this too? Yeah. Can be so powerful. And I also think in that same vein, like you were saying with the double-edged sword, it is totally fair and valid for you to take what you need when you need it and also know when to put your boundaries I'm like a huge empath (laughs) like a huge empath I just feel like I walk by people and like just all of their emotions just I feel like I feel them and so I had to get to a point like when I um I think it might have even been before I fell pregnant with wrath but it was where I started to feel um like I was, it was just more heavy than light. Like in the beginning, the connection was, was light. And this is not a reflection on like the community. Yeah, of course. It was for me personally at my point in my journey where I needed to like take a step back. Protect yourself. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Cause at some point, like you said, if you, it's not an echo chamber, basically I'm saying you, you go into that and you take it for what it, you know, for, for how long you need it. And Um, but then you can also protect yourself if you're like, if it's just getting too much. And, um, yeah, I think that is, was like a big learning for me too. And like, you know, now I can kind of, I say, sit with the emotions like more at the same time. And I recognize that they're all valid, but when you're going through the crazy roller coaster that is grief, Mm. um, there are some times when you got to get on and get, get off yeah. and um, it's totally fair. I basically just say like the gloves are off, whatever you're feeling is totally fine and you can do. <laughs> and and so how was your birth with Raph? Oh my goodness. Um, it was in retrospect, like it was, I mean, and even in the moment, like it was, it was magical. I, um, I wanted, I read Ina May's like guide to childbirth literally three times while I was Me pregnant. Too. Like I read it, because <laughs> I read it because like in the beginning I read it to like set myself up, and then I was like, oh my god, this is the best book I've ever read, and this is just what I want. So I like literally read it for entertainment two times over, still in my pregnancy after the fact, and um, I was totally like prepared for you know not wanting, uh, understanding that like basically not having expectations, understanding birth is a like journey, you can't plan for it, but knowing what I, you know, wanted. And um, I wanted, you know, my body to go into labor naturally. And it was, you know, um, I wanted to have this like healing birth Mm. after, after what I had experienced with Grove, which obviously was super medicalized in the fact that like I was, you know, induced because your body isn't, ready to give birth at 20 weeks, you know what I mean? And I, anyways, ultimately, um, Raph, there was some meconium in the water. Mm. Um, so, which means, you know, he had like had a poo, which can be 
it sounds, you know, normal, especially like he was born on his due date. Um, it can be a sign, you know, that they're mature, but it does have its risks. And generally, like most doctors, if not all of them, I don't know, are going to, you know, say, oh, yeah. The longer that it's in that, you know, the fact that they like, in, if they swallow it, that's the issue. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And um, it sounds like from my understanding now, um, almost like, you know, all babies where there's like meconium in the water and they've swallowed it, like have to go to you know, NICU and it can be yeah. really, really a scary thing. And so here I was um, waffling with the fact of, okay, but I don't want this cascade of interventions, but it's been it's your baby's health. And I've got like every, you know, my experiences to, to go on um, from before and you don't want to risk anything with the health. But um, ultimately I was able to really advocate, I guess, for myself with my doctor and the doctor was on call when like they were thinking that it's meconium in, in the water and um, tried to kind of like buy ourselves as much time as possible for me to, I had been having some contractions at home, which um, like I literally was like laboring through the entire day, totally managed, um, was like you know, sleeping on the toilet at home. And that's when I was having this like, kind of like drop every once in a while. And I had like put in a pad to like see kind of how much was coming out because it wasn't the theatrical gush or anything. And I was like, am I, at first I thought I was maybe peeing myself um, and, and because it looked a little yellow. And that ultimately ended up, that was the being meconium. the meconium. So, yeah. Yeah. So they had um, wanted, first my doctor had said, please go and like check if it's amniotic you know, fluid. And so they did the amniosure, which comes back negative. And so I'm like, okay, great. Then it's not my waters, everything's fine. But then the doctor was on call was a bit abrasive and it was not my, my, my normal um, OB. And she was, um, was just a shout out to the medical industry to work on your bedside manner. But, uh, and there are a lot of great doctors, don't get me wrong, but this one said to me, um, I've delivered thousands of babies and this is your first baby. And First of all, like you shouldn't say that to any mother. Second of all, it's not my first baby. <laughs> it's mm. my first baby on this planet. Um, but it's just like a wholly inappropriate regardless. And so that obviously like got my like haunches up, of which course. then is not like good for your head space. Yeah. Ultimately, I was able to get my doctor on the phone and um, she was like, listen, I understand. You know, I understand. I do tend to agree in terms of like the findings that she's seeing. Like it sounds like it's, you know, stage one meconium. Um, but I just, I was in like such a, icky headspace right then and I didn't want that to be the start of my of my my birth experience and so ultimately like um she said okay I said listen can I go home and like just get my stuff together take a bath so my husband and I we left we actually went to Burger Lobster um which was always like our little date date night place which is now sadly closed down um and I was in such a funk and we ended up like having a great dinner just to kind of like get me back in a good mm. headspace I went home I took a bath we packed up my stuff went to the hospital um, a little after midnight and my doctor um, and I had agreed that like I would try to go through the night and hopefully labor on my own a bit more because my contractions were pretty irregular and I'd been like sitting at three centimeters for a couple days um, and then she's like you know if things haven't moved along just because of the meconium in the water like we might have to get things moving along um, and everything like I feel like that I had learned in hypnobirthing was making me think, oh, they're just wanting to manage my birth. But you know, you have to ultimately at the end of the day, it's like you have to take all the information that you're given, all the different data points, and then make your own informed decision, right? Is yeah. what it comes down to. And so that's what we did. Um, she broke my waters early in the morning, about 
7 a.m. I didn't get much sleep during the night. Um, unfortunately, and she was like, you know, hopefully breaking the waters will bring on more regular contractions. It didn't. Um, and then, you know, and I know that she was just giving me all the information. So it was basically like, listen, there's a, like, a, there's a risk. Again, if it gets too long, like we have, the baby needs to, you know, come out. So, um, uh, I guess my fear, I, I just was like, I wanted things to go as, as, as natural, like as naturally mm -hmm. as po possible. And when I say naturally, I just mean like, um, I didn't want to like slow anything down. I wanted them to go like, it's e I guess as easy as possible. And so I was hoping like with the waters that that would kind of bring it on. It didn't, I ended up getting induced. Um, and then things really kicked off. <laughs> I mean, talk about like zero to 100. Um, and about four hours, I had to, uh, my Lala, my Lala, my doula with me. <laughs> And she is my Lala. And um, it got, yeah, it got wildly intense. Oh, and he was in the perfect position for the um, almost, I think since like 28 weeks, he was like head down and like in the right Ready. position. And literally that day, like that I went in there, he turned back to back. So I had like excruciating uh, back labor. Uh, my baby was back to back as well. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, so, you can't even describe the pain. I thought my back was breaking. I yeah. thought I was breaking every single time. Um, and then when it like, uh, finally, like, I thought, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. And at that point I was just like, anything I need it, like, give me the epidural, take, I'll take a C-section, anything, like I need this to stop. And of course that was like transition. And um, then ultimately, oh, but then I was transition, but then there was, I like pushed for two hours and um, it was wild. And I was, yeah, I mean like every woman obviously who's been there, like you're just giving it your absolute yeah. everything and you just don't think you can give anymore. And, um, and then he came and, um, it was, yeah, it, thank God. So they did, um, I had wanted like, you know, the golden hour and I didn't want, I did, you know, did delayed cord clamping and everything. I wanted him to be on me. I didn't want to take him away for anything. Um, and he did let out a really big cry after, you know, a little, after a little while, obviously time like bends like interstellar, right? Like, in yeah, it's moment, so you know, strange <laughs> what's going on, but he did cry after a while, but, um, there was quite a lot of, of fluid in there, you could tell. Um, my doctor knew like all of my preferences, you know, that I wanted delayed cord clamping and everything else. And, but there was basically a lot of stuff in there. So she was like really great in terms of like milking the cord, trying to mm. get as much blood as possible, but then ha having to um, take him to- Get everything out. Yeah. A lot of like liquid. Was, thank God he did not have to um, go to NICU. So he was like, I, my husband, you know, he was just right next to me. Um, the baby where they were um, sucking everything out. So I was like, go be with him, you know, like let it be right next to him. And so he came then right back to me afterwards. And then it was just magical. It was amazing. I mean, it was incredible. And even with like, obviously, like, I, again, I know, I feel like everybody's birth has in general, something unexpected is going on, even with all of that, mm. like the meconium, you know, being induced, you know, things that I didn't ideally, you know, an ideal case didn't want. I have like such a positive experience and like a, a, real, a real satisfaction with my birth and I think that's ultimately what what a quote good ex, good good birth experience comes down to it's not how you give birth it's that you are happy and feel respected and like you were the person making the decisions right um, yeah exactly
I think people get confused when people talk about hypnobirthing they think that that equals natural birth and that you know we're doing hypnobirthing because we only want a natural birth and um you know hypnobirthing is all about making sure that you have no intervention and that's not what it's about it's about having a positive experience and you being informed so that every step of the way you feel part of it and like you said you're respected and you know, it doesn't matter how you you choose to birth your baby. It's how you are in your mind and how you feel after the experience. And, and that's what I'm so passionate about with hypnobirthing because it teaches you. It's not just breathing. You know, that's a very small part of it. I learned things on my course where I had no idea about things like delayed core clamping. I didn't know that there were different ways um, to have pain relief. I thought it was just like epidural, no epidural, you know, like all these things. And once you know, you can make informed decisions. So because you you don't know how it's going to go. And thank God we have medical interventions. Thank God, you know, so I think that's really important that you mentioned that, that it's, it's about, you know, how you feel in your experience. It's not, there's, there's this kind of like, I don't know, like you're like somehow you failed if you haven't had a natural birth. And that's right. not and what even, it's about at that, all. Totally, totally. And I, you know, and the fact that, um, yeah, and even like that, like, I know you don't mean anything by it, but like a, a vaginal birth, birth, like a natural birth doesn't necessarily mean a vaginal birth. Like it's all natural. They're all coming out of our body, right? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I should have said and vaginal. Yeah. I knew what you, I, I, yeah. I think I said natural first. So I think that's why we accidentally got on that tangent, but I totally agree. Like hypnobirthing for me was just, oh my gosh, I became just so upset. Like I was never that person in my life who was, I mean, I knew I wanted to have kids, but it wasn't one of those things like, oh my God, I can't wait to get pregnant and be a mom. Like that just wasn't me. I knew I wanted to have them when the time, you know, the universe chose me to have it, but it wasn't like I woke up when I was born saying I'm going to be, you know, a mother and hypnobirthing just like ignited this passion of, oh my God, women and our bodies and the magic of life and how incredible is, you know, is all of this. Yeah. Um, And and it was, sorry, go ahead, Alana, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say hypnobirthing. I feel like just, it's that, that's what it shows you is just that like, you innately know all of this, but of course we need those resources. We need to be retaught that like, this is, you know, this is what we can do. And then yeah. if things go upside down, you know, these are your choices. And it's about like, I guess what's mind blowing to me, but it's become so natural, like in our society is that people, and maybe if I hadn't been introduced to hypnobirthing, it would have been, you know, a similar case. You prepare more for your wedding. You prepare more for your nursery, like it, it rather than like your birth and postpartum like fourth trimester it's and that's where we should be spending all of our time you know people spend thousands on a nursery that probably won't get used for the first six months or a year (laughs) but yet they will not invest in some kind of birth education and we are also not taught to educate ourselves as women and to put a postpartum plan in place we have to figure this all out for ourselves so some of the things that I hear from friends of mine with their first uh, babies, they almost feel like their birth happened to them and they're not right. really sure like what happened and like what was given to them. And that makes me so angry on their behalf that they had to go know. through that. And we should all have this education. You know, we should be taught in school 
what really happens when you have a baby? What happens afterwards? Instead, we are just shown things on movies where a woman's water breaks in the supermarket and then five minutes later, she's like screaming on her back and then the baby's there. And that's kind of what people think happens when you have a baby. I I totally agree. Like about like school, you know, for example, it literally wasn't until I think I was breastfeeding in like my own experience and like you know in the beginning oh my god you're so engorged and um and I like I'm very fortunate like you know with my it was still hard I mean I think breastfeeding is crazy hard like (laughs) another thing nobody tells you about (laughs) that's what I was gonna say and I and it was really hard but I mean I was lucky I feel like you know with my supply and everything else but like I remember you know feeding like you know, for the first time. And I think I was doing that little sandwich hold and squeezing and seeing milk come out of like 10 different, you know, places. And I'm like, wait a second. It isn't just like one hole in the milk. Yeah. Like how is that not taught in family life or something? And I even mentioned that to one of my friends, I think who had had like a, a baby a year ago, we like caught up on a second stage. And I was like, oh my God. And like, I had no idea your boobs were like squirting out milk from a million different places. And she's like, wait, what? Like, I don't, I don't even think I noticed that. Like, and you know, she's just been through it. Yeah. Like, it, it blows my mind. Yes. It's almost like it's somehow been covered up just all of this knowledge, um, about us and our own bodies and this incredible like experience that's literally moving the human race along. <laughs> I do think things are changing and people are totally. talking more. There are amazing resources, books, podcasts, Instagram accounts, websites, yeah. but yeah, I felt really after I had my baby just like why do people not talk about this totally yeah this is this is crazy like I know what this is madness you know and uh, yeah I think we need to educate everyone not just women like this is what happens when you have a baby and these are the different things to expect and you know it's it's just yeah I mean it's so life-changing on such a on so many different levels um and I guess you know sometimes I think well could I have been warned about everything because you have to live it I think some aspects of it you do have to live it but the education for me with hypnobirthing really was sort of proof that when you get the education and you have knowledge you feel empowered and therefore you can have a positive experience so that that sort of sort of little um system really does work um and can be applied to so many different areas of motherhood but before before we move on to our quick fire round I just wanted to ask you how was that moment when they when they handed you Raph like how like how did that feel I it talk about surreal again I mean it was surreal like when I was holding Grove but in just a totally different way if that like I couldn't believe it was all insane I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe I couldn't believe that he was here and that everything was okay I couldn't believe it you know what I mean and also I could and I couldn't I guess it was this it was this you know it's funny my doula Malala she I just found the other so she took like a million photos during the birth I think as like encouragement I vaguely like remember her being like look you know I'm seeing a way more intimate like picture of your chach and uh <laughs> and it was um I think that was her way of being like oh come on you got this it's so close but I just like re-looked at them 
um recently and she caught that like that moment on video of like when you know he came up on me and I just I remember I was like shaking crying but in a happy way and just saying I can't believe you're here that was so long like you did amazing it was so I really from that very first moment which I know is totally not natural and it's like you know sometimes it takes time and mm. you know it's not like the movies necessarily when you're like oh my god here's my angel who was just bestowed upon me from the heaven you know it, some people don't get that motherly like in you know instinct or whatever we want to call it straight away I I I, I, I did the moment he was on me I remember thinking like oh you know that must have been really hard for you you did such a great you know such yeah. good work that must have been really hard I wanted him to feel you know, because I couldn't imagine how, I guess that's another thing, hit never thing, you realize we're going through all of this wild physiological experience, but so is this baby. Yeah, they have you to work I mean? really hard. Really hard. And I just really felt for him in that moment, you know, and I wanted just to like be that quintessential soft spot for him to, to lie, you know. Oh, so beautiful. I, I have that moment on camera myself. Oh. and um the, the bit before I can't actually watch with the sound on because I'm making such like animalistic sounds that I it actually I can't watch it with the sound on because it just doesn't <laughs> sound like me I'm like right what um, wild? but then I always put the sound on for just when she, I'm, I'm holding her and it is the um if you can have somebody in the room to take some photos or video it you may feel a bit weird about that, but you will be so thankful afterwards to have totally. those. And that is another thing that doulas are just amazing for. I think everyone should have a doula. I think it's, I agree. Yeah, they're I amazing. Totally Alana, we're going to do a quick fire round now. I'm going to have to get you back on the podcast because there's so many other things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk more Aww. about your postpartum experience. I want to talk about baby led weaning, which I know you're so passionate about. Um, so Love we're definitely going to get you back on. Um, <laughs> oh, but we'll just, we'll just, um, we'll just finish off with a quick fire round. Okay. Um, sure. So your one piece of advice for first time mums. One piece of advice. I would say prepare, prepare yourself. I feel like we've already worked on, but prepare yourself for birth. But again, I also think equal importance, if not more, <laughs> um, should be for preparing yourself for postpartum. Like, I think even if you are prepared to the teeth, it's still going to be the most insane experience of your life. So like, why shouldn't we set ourselves up for as much success? And I don't mean that in the clinical, but success means as much comfort, as much yeah. preparation as possible. And, you know, I think that is, and that's another reason um, doulas I think are so amazing. Most people think, um, you know, I think the doula is there in, in the room, like with you during the birth. But what's amazing is I feel like most doulas, like for example, mine does two sessions with you, you know, prior to the birth, make sure, you know, you guys are all on the same page. She knows what your preferences are. You and your husband are on the same page, but also two visits or you know, more if you want after the fact. And yeah. I think, um, I mean, I, um, my mother isn't in my life. Um, and I know also, even though, even folks who do have their mothers in their, in their lives, 
um, being an expat in Dubai, oftentimes you don't, yeah. especially 2020, a lot of people don't. Um, so I think having any sort of support um, it can just make a world of difference. And a lot of times it's even just like for your mental <laughs> sanity, you know what I mean? Of course, you're going to have like the odd little questions. I mean, I'm nine months in and Lala is still like, whenever I have a, hey, is this normal? What would you do about this? And she's still on speed dial, you know what I mean? So my piece of advice for first-time mom is preparation for birth um, and preparation for postpartum. The food, make sure your husband knows like, <laughs> you know, what you expect of him, um, all of that. Yeah, you cannot have enough support. Okay. Um, your top three essential pregnancy and newborn items. And these can be um, for baby or for you, just anything that you found super helpful. I guess I won't say doula since I've already said that a million times over. Um, I found the Haka. So, okay, maybe I should preface this also with, I um, am probably like the opposite of everybody that you see like on social media who's like you gotta buy this you need this oh my god this I'm like the anti that I feel like I bought next to nothing because well a I live in like a two-bedroom apartment and I just like didn't feel like cluttering I'm yeah, like this same. wannabe minimalist do you know what I mean and I also um just thought like you're probably not gonna know what you need until you're in the middle of it you know what I mean and I um one thing that I bought that I was like, oh my gosh, this was legendary, was the Hakka. Um, I have pumped maybe four times in nine months. I've, I've, and I've been like exclusively breast, breastfeeding, but I would just like, I've made a choice to like be at home to um, feed whenever I can. But in the beginning, I'd say just literally in like the first two weeks, because you know, you're so engorged yeah. and everything else. That's having that haka on. I built up a stash without even trying. Yeah, for the letdown. Yes. And I was like blown away. And when you think like, oh my gosh, all of that is going into a, like a nursing pad, uh, a breast pad. Like that was amazing. Because you can yeah, just build a stash. brilliant haka. And it's so affordable as well. Oh my gosh, I, think it was like I got mine in the States, I think it was like $10. Yeah. Crazy. The old, it doesn't have any, um, no cute little flowers or ladybugs or yeah. whatever on top. It was the old, the old model, but it works fantastic. Um, I would say another item. So I, this is like, I guess, conversation for a totally other, like a conversation on its own. I really wanted to make an effort until I saw like my baby in its, um, you know, in its own environment. I, I started to get, when I got so into like the physiology of the human, of like the mother, I really started getting into the physiology of like the baby and like motor development and all this kind of stuff. And I had made a decision that I didn't want to um, do like a baby container, you know, all these, there's like lots of things out there where you can, you know, set the baby and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that. And I know that like, sometimes you're just in a situation where you need to be able to put the baby in, in like a safe space. And I totally get, there's no judgment. I just, for me, I wanted to like wait and like see if I really felt like I needed these things. And so we actually, and still to this day, like nine months in, I don't have any sort of like jumpy or Bobby, bouncy or anything I we put him I had this great mat this gather mat like from the beginning and literally since he was like I mean a day old every once in a while like we put him on the mat for you know a couple of minutes here and there and he um still to this day like he's super happy to just like chill there um so oh, I found like, a good boy mat 
and just for like that free movement was awesome. The only, like the closest thing I'd say I had to like a container, you know, type thing was the snuggle me, um, organic. Um, it's kind of, it's almost like, it's like kind of like a little pillow. It's not quite as big as that Daca tot. Yeah. Um, the sleepy head. Yeah. So it's like a smaller kind of flatter version of, of that. So I'd say what, like a mat, which I know seems really basic, but I just found that was like all I need. Yeah. Um, and I loved, I personally loved baby, baby, um, like a little, uh, carrier. I mm, baby that. wearing. Um, yeah. I, um, found that to just be, I liked the connection of it, like both for, you know, for him and for me, but then also like, even as he got older, I found just like that change in perspective. Like he really enjoyed it. Felt like he could like have a different kind of yeah. view on life. Um, and I, yeah, I really love that. And it obviously gives you like two free hands, which we can use at any point in the day. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the best things about baby wearing. You can actually do things. Although you do get very good at doing things one-handed or with your in foot. those early days you can do. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking, Oh my God, I can do so much with one hand. I didn't realize I could do. Um, <laughs> What's one thing you wish someone had warned you about before becoming a mother? Wow, that is, I mean, I guess that you are, you're never going to feel like, oh, I'm totally doing this right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can do all your education, all your prep and make the, kind of like birth, make the best decision you can with the information and the resources and whatever you have at the time. And I feel like as much as you can trust your, maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but you'll never, you probably always have a little voice in the back of your head saying, I don't know, is that the right, is that the right thing? Are you doing the right thing? Could you be doing something better? I feel like that is, you know, for me, just, I don't know. Is that normal? Do, is, do you have that? Every single day, okay. every <laughs> single minute of every single day. I'm like, oh, could I be feeding her something better for lunch? Could I be playing with her more? Is she happy? Like, am I doing enough? Is this right? Yeah, all the time. All the time. It's exhausting. And my mom, my mom told me that it never goes away. So that's, that's nice to know. <laughs> We're set up. And that's what my sister told me. Like, um, you know, my sister, she has, she just gave birth in February to her fourth. And so she has a six, a four, a two, and a new Wow. And she, I can't remember what I was even like asking her about in the very beginning. Um, and then she was like, oh, don't worry. Once you stop worrying about this, you can worry about like bigger problems. Like every single year, you know what I mean? It just this gets- is this is what my friends say with older kids. They're like, the, the problems just get bigger. Right. Like there's, there's right. few of them, fewer of them, but they're bigger gravitas around it oh my god okay because I keep I keep thinking like when does it get easier but it just doesn't like it just changes like I'm kind of I'm just waiting for that like that moment where it's like and I think you have to look for the little moments because there are little moments where you do feel like (sighs) everything is just it's okay and like the baby slept well and it's eaten its food and you feel like, oh, okay. And you have to grab onto those because for the rest of the time, you're literally like, I have no idea if this, if I'm doing this right. I have Yeah. And it's almost back to like what we were saying in the beginning of like the emotions sitting there at the same time. I like acknowledge those amazing moments where like, it feels fantastic. 
but that little voice is, it's not like it's like in front of my head, like, oh my gosh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. It's more of just like, it's always there. It's just always there and annoying. It's not detracting from like the great, the great yeah. moments, but it's there. And I think it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I find it very hard to focus on anything. Like I'm always thinking about her and okay. and once she's asleep it's not like oh I can relax now I'm thinking okay what do I need to get ready for tomorrow is she gonna wake up tonight like how much did she drink before bed you know it's it's you you are never off ever oh my gosh and sometimes that can feel really life. overwhelming I think absolutely and I I personally like find that a real challenge um which I think it's just like something you have to maybe it will come back at some point I'm not sure but like yeah this I don't want to say like a fog, but I definitely don't have my laser focus like I used to have beforehand. You know what I mean? And I do miss that in some ways because I totally have those days where I feel like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten done? And I know my, I have this ever growing, you know, task list. And it's like, even though you've been nose to the grindstone, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we just like live in that moment for a minute. <laughs> Yeah. And just give ourselves a bit of credit, I think. Give ourselves a bit of a break. Um, What's your favorite thing about being a mum? Oh my gosh. I, seeing the the world through their eyes. I mean, you know, that old adage, uh, youth is wasted on the young. Like if you take the jadedness out of that, I feel like that is what is the most beautiful thing in the world about children. Like seeing I do a lot of um, just like sitting back and observing. Like Raph is super content to, and like I said, from the very beginning, we've been doing um, just like leaving, leaving him independent. I'm always like there, but I just like, until he's mm. calling for me or interacting with me, I just like let him do his thing and not try and get up in his face. Oh, look at this. And I try and like do a lot of observing. And I love, I feel like I literally see the like synapses like firing mm. in his head and the neural pathways connecting and how you know he lights up with joy about you know figuring out how to open like a cabinet door things that are so banal and trivial to us and you see somebody you know feeling like they've just won the Nobel Prize I think that is just the most it just makes you refall in love with how incredible this yeah. life is and how amazing these little bodies are. And I just love that. And it's only going to get better and better because oh. our children are the same age and every day there is something new. And totally. sometimes I have these moments where I think she's going to start talking soon. And then we're going to be having conversations and we're going to be experiencing oh. these things, the, these things like, I don't know, taking her you know I don't know bike riding for the first time or whatever it might be like this is only going to get better and better and better and better and she's going to be able to tell me with her words like it's it's mad isn't it it's it's just and this age I think is just so fun because they can really express to you things and they can really okay they might not be able to speak yet but it's all there you know it's not verbal but it's all there and right. it's and they're a little, like, such an amazing age. Yeah. I love their little teeth and their little toes and their thighs. I mean, there is just so much great about it. Yeah. No wonder. I mean, they got to be cute with as much maintenance as they require, but they're amazing. I you know, I'm always saying to Mavi, it's a good, good job. You're cute. It right? really is. <laughs> um, and finally, Alana, what does motherhood mean to you in three words? I would say 
a superlative journey. And I mean that very in the literal sense, like there's just not another a journey like this. It's, it's, the, it's the top of the top. But I also mean it figuratively as in everything is the hardest or the most challenging or the absolute best or the most beautiful or the, like everything is superlative. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. It's gonna be the most challenging questions you have to answer and figure out what your take is on it. It's gonna be the most beautiful, you know, the most incredible smiles that you see. It's just, I feel like it's just this constant barrage of superlative things happening. Alana, thank you so much. I am so honored that you shared so much with me and I definitely need to get you back on the podcast because there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but thank you. I could ramble on with you forever. I hope I wasn't too tangential in a million directions. No, you were Um, perfect. It was fun chatting with you, Peter. And I'll put your um, Instagram in the show notes so people know where to find you and also Lala's um, details. So if people want to look her up as well, and I'm hoping we can get her on the podcast as well. Alana, thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. A massive thank you once again to Alana for being so incredibly brave, vulnerable and open. You can find links to Alana's wonderful Instagram account and website in the show notes below. I'm excited to share with you that our brand new series, Series 4, will be launching later this month and I have some awesome guests lined up. So stay tuned via our Instagram at Friday's Child for more updates. Before I say bye for now, please remember to rate, review and subscribe to Friday's Child the podcast to help us reach more wonderful mummers. Until next time, thank you for listening.